should have all gotten like four things when you, when you came in. A bulletin, a pamphlet that says preparing the soil, a card that has 420, 420, 420 on it, which I'll explain in just a minute, and then a little cup of seeds. Did everyone get one of those, especially the cup of seeds and the card with the 420 on it, the 8 to 15 cards? If you didn't get a cup of seeds or raise your hand, we'll come around and get you a cup of seeds. We'll explain those a little bit later in the sermon. Um, So uh, growing up in southern Ohio, I was a kid who liked to garden, and I know that just uh, that, that sheds a lot of light onto who I am and just how cool I was growing up. Um, I was not the kid who went out to all the parties. In fact, um, I can't really remember being invited to a party going through high school. And so um, I was that kid. I was that student. Um, I did, however, win most influential senior in, in the band. So I don't know what that says either. But... <laughs> But, um, yeah, but when it, when it comes to coolness, I was, not, I was not the cool kid. In fact, it was always a desire of mine to be one of the cool kids. I always just, you know, just felt like, man, it would be so cool if I could just fit in with all the kids who were in school. If I could just, if I could just be a part of them, if I could just be one of them, then, then maybe life would be a lot easier. Maybe I wouldn't get made fun of so much. Um, you know, for instance, I, I you know, I'm, I was an artist. I, I like to write songs. I, uh, I like music. I grew up in a very musical family. Um, and if you, if you don't know this about artists, I've kind of changed over the years. I've become less like this. But um, artists like to dress a little bit differently from time to time. Our son, Henry, our, um, he's an artist. And he likes to wear orange pants and bright colored clothes. And I think it's both because he's a kid and because he's an artist. He likes to draw, but, but he likes to wear really bright colored clothes. Well, um, one, one day, so my sister is two years older than me. She was a cheerleader. She was one of the cool kids. My brother uh, was seven years older than me. He, he kind of you know, blazed the trail through high school for us as, as you know, a really respectful, honorable kid, honorable student. He played football. I was one of the starting football players, and so, of course, then I was trying to play football as well. And, but my sister was a couple years ahead of me. She was a cheerleader. She had all the cool friends. She was in all the cool circles, and I wasn't, and that you know, created some tension in our home, but uh, we got over it. But she was, uh, she was a lot more in touch with what was cool and what wasn't cool. She was a lot more in touch with what, uh, what you should wear and what you shouldn't wear. I didn't really care. So, um, for instance, I wore this outfit this one time. Um, so my brother had, I, pretty much all my clothes were hand-me-downs for, for the most part, except for my pants because I had a weird body shape so I could never find pants that fit. Still have a hard time finding pants that fit. You can ask my wife. But um, we, uh, we got a lot of hand-me-downs, and so I had these pair of uh, boots. They were kind of like cowboy boots, but, but not nearly as manly. Um, they were kind of like girly cowboy boots, but, but they were man's boots. They were just like not manly cowboy boots, uh, but they did have a zipper on the side. So if that gives you any indication what kind of, what kind of boots they were. <laughs> um, but so, you know, so you're, if you're wearing those shoes, then you got you to gotta match that with the, you got you to you gotta keep the, the theme with the outfit. So um, uh, we... We were in Ohio, so we're all Ohio State Buckeyes fans, so I had a red, a red uh, Ohio State sweatshirt, so I wore the red Ohio State sweatshirt, and it was red, and I had um, a pair of, of green pants, and so I wore these green pants. This was uh, the late 90s, so there's a little bit of that in there, but I, I wore these green pants, so um, I, had, I had these uh, cowboy boots on that had a really, uh, really distinguishable wooden heel and green pants and a red sweatshirt. What comes to your mind when you think of wood, green, and red? Christmas tree, yeah. So um, I was playing football at the time, and the, the starting quarterback uh, gave me the, the nickname Christmas tree. And so I got called Christmas tree for a long time going through uh, my high school years. Needless to say, I never wore green pants and a red shirt ever again. But, but my desire to fit in, my desire to become one of the people was what was kind of driving me. It was what was kind of pushing me to be, you know, to, to do these things. I wanted to, I wanted to somehow take a bold step into that group and become 
one of the cool kids, and it was it was totally something uh, that that really, when you look at it, when you look at look at it for its, for all that it is, when you get all the truth out of it, it's it's absolutely meaningless. It's absolutely. Um, it's weak and pathetic. If, if you really want to boil it down to what it is, you know, striving to fit into a group, striving to, to step into a group of, of cool people because they're the cool people or because they do all the cool things or they get all the attention or they go to all the parties or, or they get invited over to everyone else's house or because they get invited to go out, on, out to movies and to dates and they, they have your kids over for slumber parties or because they invite you over for dinner. And, and so you just, you know, all the desire that you have to try to get into that group is really, really kind of, um, well, it's worldly, right? It's, it's something that, that has to do with our desire to fit in with the world around us. It, it has to do with our desire to, to kind of come and see, see what's, what, what gets all the attention. It has, it has to do with, with coming and seeing who's getting the pats on the back, who's getting the rewards, who's getting the accolades, who's getting all of the cool stuff. It's, it's what drives our desire to want to be like, like actors. It's, it's what drives our desire to want to be like the rich you know, CEOs of the world. It's what drives our desire to, to do all these things is that we want to be a part of the world. We want to be a part of the in crowd. We want to be a part of the cool people. We want to fit in. Well, this morning, as we continue on in our, our Love Illuminated series, we're going to talk about how we were called to stand out, how we were called not to come in and fit in with the world, but we were called to stand out. We, we were called to come in and, and, and go against the grain of everything that, that the world is and stands for. We're going to be in John chapter 3, 16 through 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. John chapter 3, verse 16 through 21. It's a very familiar passage. It's what came next. Last week, Kenan, our student life pastor, was just up here leading worship. He covered the first part of chapter 3 and talked about Nicodemus and being born again. And he kind of ended uh, talking about the serpent. So I want to pick up there before we get into verse 16. So let me start in verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, before we get into the next section, um, a lot of scholars believe that the quotation of Jesus, if you, have a, if you have a Bible, if you have a red letter edition Bible, then you know the whole next paragraph is probably still in red, but a lot of scholars believe that this is John common, you know, commentating his commentary on what had just happened, not necessarily that it is Jesus continuing to speak. I happen to think that it is John talking and not Jesus talking. So just for our purposes this morning, starting in verse 16, we're just going to, we're going to make the assumption that John is, is commenting on what had just happened. So verse 16, John, the author of this gospel, of this story of Jesus, says this, For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this chance we have to look at an amazing passage, a very familiar passage, but a passage that just has so much truth in it that uh, we couldn't even talk about it in the time that we have this morning. Help us to hear what you want us to hear and to take from this message what you want us to apply to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the reasons I think this is John talking and not Jesus talking is because he uses a lot of language like he used at the, at the begin, very beginning of, of John. In and, and chapter 1, we hear John talk about light, and we hear, hear John talk about grace and truth. And so if, uh, if I can, just for a second, let me just go back and remind us a little bit of John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. We talked about that. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life has the light of men. Uh, a lot of this has kind of the same meter and kind of the same flow of thought as John uh, 3.16. There came a man who was sent from, from God. His name was John. Uh, I'm going to skip down 
just a little bit. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to every man was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. So you kind of get this, this kind of half-sentence, half-sentence combined thought thing going on a lot. Uh, verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those uh, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so now we're going to jump over to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So kind of a similar sentence structure to the first part. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So you kind of get, I, I get a feeling of, of a similar kind of, uh, of, uh, of meter in, in, the, in the text. But also one thing to note uh, is, that, is that when Jesus is talking about God, he almost always refers to him as the Father. And here we see the word God. So it seems that if Jesus was talking, he would have, he would have referred to God as his Father, not as for God so loved the world in the, in, in the more of the third person. So, you know, it's not, it's not really going to make or break anything, but I just kind of wanted to point a couple of those things out. We're going to focus in on a few, uh, a few words just this morning. We're not going to focus on the whole passage because we don't have time. But we're really going to get into so loved the world. Now, if you've heard anyone talk about this passage before, they, they've kind of landed on that so being a so much, that God, God loved the world so much. In fact, a lot of our translations, a lot of the different translations say so much. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. And I, I don't have a problem with that. I do think that God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. But, but if you look at the word so, if you define the word so and you go back into the Greek and, and try to define what the word so is, it is not a so of, of so much. It is not God loved the world so much. It is a so of in this way or in this manner. In this way or in this manner. And, and we, we, use the, we use the word so in both ways in our language, so that's why it fits here. We use the word so um, to, to say you know, so much or, or so great, but we also use the word so to say, if you're doing something, you'd say like so, right? If you're, if you are trying to teach someone how to clean a toilet, you would go in and, and kind of show them how you're cleaning the toilet and say, scrub it like so, right? We, we use the same word to mean two different things, but this word, how it's defined, um, at least according to uh, the concordance that I was looking up, says, says the so here means in this way or in this manner. So that asks the question, in this way, in this manner, God so loved the world, God loved the world in this way, in this manner. What does that mean? Well, that's the reason we started in verse 14 to come, come off of what Kenan was talking about last week. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. So in what way? In this way. God loved the world in this way that, that he had his son crucified on a cross. That is the way in which God loved the world. Now, let's keep defining some terms. I'm just going to kind of define a few terms, take a little bit different approach this morning than I usually do. But I want to get a clear definition on some terms before we go on. So, so means in this way or in this manner. Loved. Loved is a really different word, right? Because we have a very clear picture of what it means to love. We have a very specific idea in our minds of what love means and what it means when we're supposed to love someone, then, then we understand that that, that kind of has to do with, with feeling, right? We, we automatically associate the word love with romance. And so, so when we think about the word love, well, we think of that God, God loved us in that way. And I don't have a problem with that, but I don't think that that really entails the whole picture. So uh, just a quick definition. We're going to get into love just a little bit, a little bit later. But love, when you're when when you're loving a person, according to the Bible, means to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly. It's, it's more of a of a of a welcoming in and and a bringing in of people. The world. This is this is a great a great place to stop for just a minute because. We don't have a problem that God loved the world, but we have to understand that, that the fact that Jesus came to love the world would have flown in the face of the Pharisees and the Jews of the day because they believed that the Messiah was coming back to save God's chosen people. God, God was going to send his Messiah to save the Jewish people. God was going to send his, his Messiah to save the Israelites, but, but Jesus came for the whole world. So if you think the Messiah is coming for just, for, just for you and you start hearing the Messiah talk about welcoming everyone into the kingdom, 
you'd have a flag go up. So when you hear that word, the world, it, it means the inhabitants of the earth, men, the human family, you know, global humanity. It can also mean, as we're going to get to later in this passage, the, the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God and therefore hostile to the cause of Christ. Or it can mean the Gentiles as contrasted to the Jews, like we spoke. Let's keep defining terms. So, so loved the world. God, in this way, loved, welcomed in the world, all of humanity. Now, we're going to skip down to a little bit later in the passage, verse um, 19, and talk about light. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men love dar- darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. So, light here is a metaphor. It's, it's not talking about, about you know, light that's, that we can see shining. It's a light we see shining in a different way than the lights that are above us shining right now. God is light because light has the extremely delicate, subtle, pure, brilliant quality. God is referred to as light throughout the Bible. Um, it also has to do with, with the idea of truth and knowledge together with, with the spiritual purity associated with it. It has to do with, with the idea of exposing something or, or kind of bringing something to light. You know, you, you use that phrase, we, we want to bring it to light. So it's, it's exposing something and, and bringing it to light in view of all openly and publicly. And it has to do with reason and mind, the power of understanding, moral and spiritual, spiritual truth. So, so there's light. Now, now we also see in there the word darkness. So what does darkness mean? Darkness is also a metaphor. Darkness is referring to world. And in fact, you could actually, you could probably throw the world in here and with that definition of the ungodly multitude. Darkness is the world is of ignorance, respecting divine things and human duties and the accompanying godliness and immorality together with their consequent misery in hell. Persons in whom darkness becomes visible and hold sway. So, so darkness becomes is, is, is not so much the fact that we don't see people walking around who look like they are dark. We see po- people walking around doing things that we would associate with darkness. So light, darkness, God so loved the world, light, darkness, and then this word judgment. The word judgment is used here both in verse 17 18 and 19, it's all the same word. They just translated it differently. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That, that's the, the root word there for judgment, is to condemn the world, to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, same word there, is not condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. This is the verdict. This is the result of the judgment. This is the judgment Light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light. So, so this idea of judgment is it's to determine, to resolve, to decree, to judge, to pronounce an opinion of right and wrong. It's to, to be judged, to summon a trial. You, know, you, you kind of get the idea to pronounce judgment, to be subject to censure, so on and so forth. So we have all these terms, so what? Who cares? Who cares how we define the terms? We kind of already understand John 3.16. Um, I would agree that we kind of already understand John 3.16, but I don't think we really understand John 3.16. I think we get, the, we get the surface idea of John 3.16, but we don't really get what John 3.16 means for us. We get, we get the idea that, that God loved the world, that God loved us as people so much that he came into the world to die for us. That makes a lot of sense. But when we really get to the global understanding of what it means that God so loved the world, that God loved the world in this way that he sent his son to die on a cross... When we really get into that idea, I don't think we really get it because our actions tell me otherwise, including my own. I don't always act like I believe, John 3.16. I don't always act between Monday and Saturday like I I truly believe with all of my heart, John 3.16. We see it on posters. We see it all over the place. We see people who who have that verse tattooed on their body because it is so important to them that that God loves them. And, And I think it is very important that God loves us, but... But I don't see in our actions, I don't see in my actions that I go out and live like John 3.16. So, God loved the world in this way. How did God love the world? By sending his son to die on a cross. But what's love really got to do with it? What? I'm not going to sing the song. <laughs> I was looking for a picture of it, but I, I just couldn't even put a picture of, of her up on the screen. So, um, <laughs> what's love really got to do 
with John 3.16 because to be frank and to be honest, if we're talking about love as the world loves, I don't think any of us want it. If we're being really honest about loving as the world loves, do you really want that from your Savior? Do you really want that from God? Do you want God to love you the way that you've been loved by everyone around you? Even in the best circumstances, love has problems on earth. Even when both people in a relationship are are committed to working hard at that relationship for a lifetime, you have problems. When we love as the world loves, we always end up short-handed, short-sighted on the short end of the stick. But when we love as God loves or when we understand really how God loved us, it changes everything. So let's look at love and let's really, let's really try to think about how God loves the world. What, what does it mean that God loves the world? So here is, here's a definition uh, that, that you'll probably hear uh, several times again, not just this morning, but uh, as we go throughout, because it's got a good summary kind of, of how the Bible looks at love. Love is purposeful commitment to sacrificial action for another. Love is purposeful commitment to sacrificial action for another. You're committed to somebody on purpose. You, you have decided in your heart, you are committed on purpose, that that, 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 is, that is something that you will be committed to for your lifetime. You're committed on purpose to sacrificial action, that you're going to sacrifice for this person that you love. And that is how, how you will love that person, by, by sacrificing on purpose for that person. But see, our overuse of the word love has really, in my mind, diminished what it means that God loved the world. See, see we use love uh, really, really freely in our culture, right? I mean, I mean yes, uh, uh, in high school, you probably hear the word love a lot, right? I mean, it's like, you know, he loves her or, or she loves him or, or, you know, whatever the love is. <clears throat> but we also use love um, in, in a lot of really uh, ridiculous ways, like, And if you're on Facebook, it's like you can't not go for more than like three minutes without seeing somebody post something about how much they love coffee and like don't talk to me before I've had my coffee and stay out of my way. But like, I I love coffee. I need this coffee. I got it. I love coffee. I love my car. I I love my house. I love love this thing. I love my uh, 83-inch TV. I don't have an 83-inch TV. I just want one. So I love my 83-inch TV. As you know, I'm believing in faith that someday I'm going to have an 83-inch TV in my home. I love that TV. We use this word love to, to really talk about uh, really small, shallow, insignificant things. And because we use love so freely, what does it mean then that God loves us? So I think that's why we have to really define that God's love for us was sacrificial. God's love for us was, was, not, was not selfish. God's love for us was not so that he would fit into our crowd. God didn't love us in a way that, that, that he could become one of us and so that we would accept him as being one of the cool kids. That is not how God loved us. God did not love us in the way that we would love someone else to get into their circle, to get into their world. God loved us exactly how we needed to be loved by coming and dying on the cross. That's how God loved us. And he didn't just do it by accident. He didn't just show up by accident and walk the earth. He didn't just show up by accident and just happen to end up in, in bad relationships with people. He didn't just accidentally walk into you know, the synagogue. He didn't just accidentally walk into the temple and throw things around and make people upset. He came here on purpose. He had a very specific purpose in mind when he came. He came because he knew that he had to come and die and pay the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and that's how he loved us. And I don't really want to use the same word for that love to talk about how I love my coffee. We don't have another word, so unfortunately, there we are. God loved the world in this way. God purposefully committed to sacrificing his son on a cross. That is how God 
loved us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But here's where we fall short, I think. We get that that means sacrifice for us. We get, we get that Jesus came and, and he died on a cross so that we could enjoy an eternity with him. We, we get that. You know, that, that makes sense to, to pretty much everyone, even, even someone who, who is outside of what we would call the faith or outside of being a follower of Jesus Christ. Some, someone understand, you know, okay, so I get that. You know, if you, if you tell me that story, Jesus died for me. Okay, okay I get it. But what we don't get, I don't think, is, is if we really got it, if we really understood what it meant to love, if we really had a deep understanding, if, if in our hearts and our souls, if, if with, with all that is within us, we understood just how Jesus came to love us, I don't think we would just stop with, thank you, God, for loving me. If we really, if we really get it, if we really understand, well, how can we stop with thank you, God, for loving me if we understand that, that Jesus loved us in a purposefully committed way that shows, showed his sacrificial action for another? How can, we, how can we say that we understand God loved the world if, if we say that he showed purposeful commitment to sacrificial action for another if we will not do the same and show sacrificial action for one another? Now, I'm not saying, you know, just doing good things. What, I, what I'm talking about is actually going out into the world and being in the world on purpose to show sacrificial action so that they can experience the love of God from you and from me. So, we're going to turn and we're going to take a turn towards the rest of this passage. And this, the, these are some questions we're going to ask. So, so, how should we go into the world? Because Jesus clearly came into our world and he sacrificially loved us in such a way that, that, that we got salvation out of the deal. But how should we go into the world? Or, or you could ask, in what way should we go into the world? In what manner should we go into the world? Or, or what is our so? What is our so? What is the manner with which each of us are going to go into the world this week? What is our so? What is the way we're going to go into our world and make a difference that we're going to love people the same way that Christ loved us? What is our so? If you're taking notes, I'd ask you to write that down and write down on a sheet of paper. What is my so? What is my so? Because Jesus' so was death on a cross. Jesus, so for all of humanity, was death on a cross. Jesus, in this way, in this manner, was death on a cross. What is our so? Jesus died sacrificially, on purpose, because it is what we needed. See, in this way, in this so, God so loved. In this so, Jesus died on a cross. So what is our so? What is my so? So let's get to the idea of light and darkness and judgment and condemnation because that's a fun one to spend some time on. Um, doesn't everybody come to church hoping to hear about some condemnation this morning? But see, if we, if we really understood love, if we really understood how God loved the world, it would entirely and completely change the way that we approach the world. Now, um, if, if you've been around here for a while, you know that I'm not a fan of, of the Christian standing on the corner with the sign um, yelling, repent, and repent or you're going to hell. That, that doesn't really uh, strike me too well. Um, I, don't like, I don't like so much uh, spiritual uh, tracks, you know, the ones that take American Idol and turn it into the four spiritual laws. And if you just really uh, Randy Jackson it up enough, yo dog, you, you're going to eventually make your way into heaven. Um, and by the way, if there's ever a movie made on my life, I've already decided that Randy Jackson would play me. Um, <laughs> just, I mean, he just personifies who who I am, and you just, you don't understand that because you're not inside me, so, but, you know, if there was a, uh, but, you know, like, there's kind of this whole world that that seeks to, from the outside, just like, just like God, looks from the outside down on the world, and looks, looks down on the people around us, and we just seek to hurl condemnation and judgment on the world from the outside, 
There's this kind of a whole sect of Christianity that just seeks to do that. They, just, they like to stand outside the world and just, and just throw down the condemnation. They like to stand outside the world and just condemn everybody who's in the world. And that's why I don't think we understand love. I, that's why I don't think we understand how God loves us. Because if we really understood how God loves us, we would never, ever, 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 ever condemn the world from the outside. With a couple more evers. We would never condemn the world from the outside. Because God, who is rich in mercy, God, who is completely righteous and and perfect in every way, God, who stands on the outside, had every right to come into the world and condemn us. He had every right to come into the world and just lay down the condemnation. He He could have just obliterated everything because he had the right because he's God. But how did God love us? God loved us by sending his son into the world on purpose to die on a cross to atone for our sins. That's how God loved us. He, he didn't love us by, by coming and judging us because we had fallen short. He did that to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who claimed to be believers and didn't really get what had been laid down thousands of years before. He did that to the people who were claiming to be religious, but he didn't do that to the world. He loved the world. He sacrificed himself for the world. God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only son. What's your so? Maybe you've never actually believed in Jesus Christ. Maybe you've never actually taken that step to believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins. And maybe you don't even think that you have sins. Maybe, maybe you think that, that you've lived a pretty good life and, you, and you've done everything pretty well, so, so you really don't need grace. And um, I don't have time to get all the way into it, but, but you do. <laughs> it's, 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 we all need grace. We all, we all need, if you just mess up one time, that's all it takes. Because God is holy and perfect and just, and God cannot be in the presence of sin. So if we sin one time, we cannot be in God's presence for all of eternity. So, so we need grace, and God gives his grace freely. And we are told, in the same way that you have received, give it. In the same way that you have received grace, give out the grace. You know, go into the world and, and preach the good news. The good news is that, that we've been covered in grace, that we don't have to earn our salvation. We've been covered in grace. God had every right to judge the world, but he came and showed grace. What's your so? In what way are we going to go into the world? What way are we, are we, are we going to go into the world and make a difference? Now, um, take just, uh, just a little second. I've got a, a video to show you. It's, got a, it's advertising something at the end. I don't even know what it is. It's from YouTube, so... Um, just ignore the last three seconds of the video, but let's watch this video. All right, so now that it's you know, perfectly legal for the NSA to pretty much spy on whoever they want, however they want, I'm with the hidden camera crew. We're going to set up cameras all over. We're going to find out what people are searching for online. And then I'm going to call it out super loud on this megaphone and embarrass them. We figured, hey, why can't, why can't we do it? Just some random guy with a megaphone. How do I get women to notice me? This guy right here just searched the internet for how do I get women to notice me. Women, he'd like you to notice him. This girl wants to know how to twerk. She wants to know how to twerk. You don't know how to twerk? It's okay, I don't know either. Best dating website. Actually, here that third one. The third one's awesome. They don't know how to twerk? It's like riding a horse, right? No, no. how do I ask my boss for a raise? Right. Oh, look at Louie. Someone sent you a wink. Oh, dude, she's cute. Who are you? Pimple or wart? That's what he's searching for. Pimple or wart? Let me ask you, is it red or silver? Get if it's red, you got a pimple, my friend. If it's silver, you're in wart town. How do I know if I'm pregnant? Right here. Congratulations, everyone. She might be pregnant. Just saying. Topical cream. No. Hey, no, there's no... Easy, man. Your search is their search. All right. Protect your shopping privacy. Um, 
I mean, that would be kind of awesome to do, right? I mean, just, just admit, you would love to do that. Okay, okay, maybe you wouldn't love to. I would love to do that. So if you want to pull out your phone right now, I have a microphone. No, um, it's like riding a horse. <laughs> I mean, Silver. If it's silver, you're you're in, you're in work town. But um, you know, I think that honestly, I think that's how we want to approach the world. I think that's how we want to go into. That's our so. Our so is you know Ty Pennington on Extreme Makeover Home Edition with the megaphone, getting up in people's faces and announcing to the whole world all of your failures. It's getting the megaphone and announcing to the whole world, this is how he messed up. This is what he did. Look at what they're doing. Look at how they're living. We want to pull out the megaphone and we want to shout for all of all the people around us to see, this is how these people are sinning. And I know it sounds absurd and ridiculous and, and the video makes it sound really really outside the norm, but you don't have to go very far to find that to be true. Spend an afternoon downtown at uh, Pioneer Porthouse Square, and you'll see a guy with a big two-foot-by-six-foot sign that says, repent, or you're going to hell. Standing on the outside condemning the world. But what's your so? Is your soul going to be standing on the outside condemning the world and shouting out condemnation through a megaphone to embarrass people so that you can feel good about yourself? Or is your soul going to be to go into the world and love like Jesus loved? Is your soul going to be to lay your life down, to, to sacrifice your life, to sacrifice your self-centeredness, to sacrifice our desire to exalt ourselves to the highest place? Are we going to sacrifice that and lay it down and put Jesus on the throne of our hearts so that we can go into the world and love the world like Christ loved the world? Do you see why your heart is so important like we talked a few weeks ago? We talked about how you cannot replace with your head and your hands what doesn't exist in your heart. Some other verses, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. The heart is deceitful and above all things wicked. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That's our so for the most part. Our so is, is our hearts are so self-centered. They're, they're so focused on getting our own wants and our own needs and our own desires and our own perceptions of what we think is most important to us met that we, that we don't even think about the so that someone else needs. Our hearts are full of self. Our hearts are full of me. And if you don't believe me, all you have to do is watch TV for about three seconds and you'll understand that all of the world exists to please self and make you happy with your life based on on who you are and what you can do and how much you can achieve and how much you deserve and how much you earned. You deserve all of this stuff. That is the world that we live. Now, don't, don't hear me wrong. I'm not condemning from the outside. I'm just saying we live in a world that is all about me. Always has been, always will be, all about me. And if our soul is not different than all about me, we will have no message to share. If our soul is not different than, than I am the center of this universe, I am the most important thing walking this planet right now. If our soul is not look at me, give me attention, love me, welcome me into your circles, make me feel like one of the popular kids, make me feel like I'm cool, make me feel like I'm one of those, those people that just fits in because I am one of you. If our soul does not get beyond that to what do you need, how can I sacrifice myself, how can I lay myself down for you so that you can see the love of God and how Jesus Christ came and did this so for you. If we don't get over that, if we don't get to the point where, where, where we are really believing in our hearts, in our minds, in our souls, with all of our being, that Jesus Christ did come and die on the cross for us. If we don't really get to that, we will never love the world the way the world needs to be loved. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Verse 19. Light. Jesus was the light. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. 
Truth, that's an interesting word, isn't it? Even Pilate, when he is questioning Jesus at the end of Jesus' life on earth, says, what is truth? The question of truth has been something that that has been asked for, for centuries and millennia. What is truth? If truth does not exist outside of ourselves, then we honestly have no business sharing anything with anybody. If, if truth is all about me and truth is all about how, how I can build up myself and make myself the king of this world and the king of this universe, then that's also true for you. If truth exists based on how I feel at the moment, if truth is decided by, by my internal motivations and my desires for me, we have no right to go to anyone and say, you should live your life in this way. And, and this is a very strong current in our, in our current culture. This is a very strong theme right now that, that it's all about me. It's all about what I want, it's all about who I am, and, and, and it's not there. It, it, truth, truth has just become whoever's telling the best story. Truth has become whoever, whoever has the strongest story, and, and, and we've lost the idea that there is a truth outside of ourselves. We've lost the idea that there is, there is a truth that is bigger than me. And if there is no truth that is bigger than us, then I ask the question why bother trying to live any better? If there is no truth that is bigger than, than as good as I can be on my own, then, then why should I even try? If, if there's no truth, if there's, no, there's no, nothing outside of my own decision on what's right and what's wrong, then why bother trying to do anything besides what I think is right and wrong? Does that make sense? Why, why would I care? Does that make sense? Do you understand? You know, why would I care what you think if what's right for you is not what's right for me? And why should you care what I think if what's right for me is not what's right for you? Truth is, is a big deal. Truth is, is really important. Verse 21, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Interesting, isn't it, that, that what you're doing when you're living by the truth is done through God, not by yourself. That when you are living by the truth, God is the one at work through you. It is not you at work doing your own things. What is your soul? How are you going to go into the world? Are you going to go into the world and say, you need to live by my truth? Because if it's based on your truth, we fail. If it's based on my truth, we all fail. But if it's based on the truth of God, then God can win. So, so, so if what is truth is a question we need to understand, and if truth is something that we're not going to really get to the bottom of today, but the truth is this big deal, truth greatly affects how we go into the world. Because that means we have to understand how God loved the world. That means we have to understand that the way in which God loved the world is more important than how we want to come into the world and bring our love to the world. We have to go into the world in the way that God loved the world. Light shines in the darkness, but the darkness is not understood. That's in the first chapter of John. Then in verse 19, we see again, light has come into the world, but men love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Light came into the world and shone very brightly through Jesus Christ. But then we see later, we see in, in another place, um, actually right about the same time as Jesus was, was probably sharing this with uh, Nicodemus over in Matthew's gospel in chapter 5, verse 14, we see that you are the light of the world. He, Jesus is talking to people who had gathered to listen, listen to him teach, and he says to them, you are the light of the world. 
Yes, Jesus is the light of the world, but we are the light of the world. And a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I don't know if you've ever been uh, driving across 205 on your way, on your way uh, north in the evening. You know, maybe coming out of Portland. I used to do that uh, back a long time when I, was, when I was dating my wife and I was working over on the east side of town. I would come up 205 and head out on 14 to go out there for, for our choir practice or whatever we had going uh, uh, on that evening. But as maybe you've noticed this, if you're coming over on the evening, just as the sun is starting to set and, and you kind of happen to glance over east, if you, you know, to your right, if you're going north back up into Vancouver, you know, if, you, if you glance over that way and, and the sun is, is setting, uh, Prune Hill kind of sits off in this direction. It kind of sits up there, and, and you, can, you, can see, you can see the mound. And, and yes, you, you would notice it by day, but it would blend into uh, the rest of the hills and the mountains around. But, but at, at evening time, when the sun is coming down and, and light is shining and, and it's getting low in the sky and, and the angle gets just right, you can't look over toward Prune Hill without being blinded. Because the light is shining so bright off of all the windows of all the houses, and, and it's just being reflected right down to I-205, so, so that everywhere you drive on, on 205, you can't look off to the east because it's just it's too bright, and, and you might risk being blinded and, and wreck and drive into the river, and that's not a good thing. But it's, it's bright, it's, it's blinding, and a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You, you can't hide Prune Hill when the sun is going down. It's too bright. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our job is not to try to force the darkness to understand our light. Our job is to shine our light. We cannot force people who do not understand why we are living the way we are living to understand why we are living the way we are living because it cannot be understood until you understand that God comes into your heart and brings the understanding. Our job isn't to tell the darkness how to become a light. Our job is to shine our light. So how do we shine our light? This is our soul. How do we shine our light? By loving as Jesus loved and not as the world loves. This is how we shine our light, but this is our soul. Love as Jesus loved, not as the world loves. Our lights shine when, when our lives start to look like the life that Jesus lived. Our light shines when we start to live like Jesus lived. When, when we start to, to love others with grace and forgiveness instead of condemnation. When we start with grace instead of condemnation and judgment. When we start with mercy and humility instead of pride and arrogance. When we start with mercy and humility. And when our words and our deeds match up with our attitude and our motivations, then we're starting to shine our light. What is your soul? How are you, how are you going to go into the world and shine your light and, and just be the light? Just go out and be the light. Not, not offer condemnation from the outside. Not, not, not just go and yell at the people all the ways that they're living wrongly. Not to just go and, and just condemn everything, but to, but to really shine the light. How are you going to do it? How are you going to do it? What's the manner with which you're going to go into the world and love the world. Second Corinthians chapter four, Paul says, the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, that's how we need to shine. The light of the gospel is so alive in us that it displays the glory of Christ in us and through us. What's your so? How are you gonna go into the world and love the world the same way that Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it? What is your so? Well, if you've been around for a little while, um, you've heard us throw throughout the uh, 420 thing. Um, just want to, again, reiterate, has nothing to do with smoking pot, but we don't mind um, if a bunch of potheads come on Easter and find Christ. We think that would be awesome. Um, 
It was just we, you know, I was praying when God first brought me on here. Um, I was just, I was just kind of praying for for direction and vision, you know, where God wanted us to go as a church. And about that time, um, we had around sixty people uh, in early midsummer when I was praying this prayer and this idea first started to come out. And I, uh, you know, seven is a number that God uh, uses throughout the Bible to represent perfection. You know, seven is, is how many days are in a week. It's how many days it took God to make the world. It's it's number of perfection. And I don't, I'm not saying there's anything super spiritual about these numbers. I'm just saying these are numbers that God put in my mind, and that's why we're going after them. But, you know, 60 times seven is, is 420. And, and the times seven part has to do with us. At the time, it had to do with 60 of us times 7 was 420 people. And we thought, man, wouldn't it be just an amazing thing of God if we had 420 people here on Easter, April 20th, 2014, to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time? Wouldn't it be amazing if, if we had 420 people that came who, who didn't know Jesus and they found Christ for the first time? Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, now, you know, uh, eight months later, we're... We're not running 60 anymore. We're running 100, and it's, it's a lot easier now. <laughs> it's a lot easier if we all understand our so. If we all understand our so, if we all understand the so with which we're going into the world, if we all understand the way in which we are going to sow the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we understand the so, 420 is nothing. 420 is no big deal. The, the 420 on 420 by 420, the last 420 has to do with Mark 420. I'll just read it for you. I'm not going to get all into it. You've got a pamphlet on your way in. It's called Preparing the Soil. It talks all about uh, Mark 4, verse 1 through 20. It's a parable of the sower. Um, a farmer's going out. He's scattering a seed. And you know, back in, back in the Bible times when they would have been scattering the seed, probably would have been scattering wheat or something. You wouldn't do it like a lot of us do today. If you do any gardening, you know, you, kinda, you work up the soil and you, and you cut a row in the soil and then you plant the seeds in and you cover the soil back up. But when, you, when they were probably planting the wheat, they would just kind of throw it out and scatter it. They'd probably have a bag and they'd just walk along, you know, throwing the seed out. And Jesus is talking about this farmer who's walking along, pulling the seed out of his, out of his pouch and throwing the seed. Some of the seed just happens to go beyond where he had already worked the soil and it goes out past the soil and lands on the path and, and birds come along and snatch that up and then some of the seed goes and lands in the rocks and, and, the, and it just it lands in the rocks and it sprouts up quickly and then withers and dies and, and he's going around still throwing out the seed out where it's supposed to go on the soil that's been prepared but some of it lands in the thorns and as it lands in the thorns the, the seed grows up but then as, as time goes by the seed that grows up in the thorns chokes off and dies but, but most of the seed he's talking about is landing in the, in the ground that has been prepared, the ground that has been worked, the ground that is ready to receive the seed. And this is how, how he describes that seed in verse 20 of Mark 4. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even 100 times what was sown. What's your sow? How are you going to sow the seed of the gospel? Well, as, as we were praying through this, as, as we were kind of wrestling with this idea and, and talking about it, I also, um, there was a plant that we had in our windowsill at home, and I kind of like to take, you know, branches off of a plant and put them in water and see if they grow. Some of them grow, some of them don't grow, and we, we had some vines, I don't know, some, some kind of ivy, and it was growing, and we also had a little bamboo tree that I had put in there, and it somehow started growing. I, I don't know if it's supposed to do that, but it did that, and so we, ha- we had bamboo and ivy growing, and, but it, it had grown, and all the roots had kind of clumped together in this jar. It was in a mason jar, and it had kind of filled up this space, and they were no longer growing. They were, they were still alive. They were still green, but they were no longer growing. They were no longer producing anything. They had been stunted. And, you know, when I finally uh, started to settle in here in my office, I brought in a, a planter. It's about this big around. And, and I planted the bamboo in the middle and the ivy um, around the edge of that. And, and literally within days, there was new growth on everything. Within days, there was new growth on the ivy, new growth now. Now I'm having to route the vines around so that they can put down new roots, and um, it's, it's, a, it's amazing when you put something in the right soil, what happens. 
So you've heard us throughout the idea of 8 to 15. Our, our desire for 8 to 15 is that we all have 8 to 15 people God has put in our lives already. They're already there. They already exist. We already know them. We already have a relationship with them of some kind. They're already there. And God wants us to just be the light of the gospel to those people. He wants us to just shine our light in front of them, to do good deeds in front of them, to serve them, to help them in whatever way. And there are, there are practical ideas in that pamphlet that you can take and, and read and get some really practical ideas on how you can do this thing we're talking about. But, but it, what has more to do is preparing the soil. If the soil is ready to receive the seed, then the seed grows. The soil of the path is not ready to receive the seed, so the birds come along and eat it up. The soil or the rocks are not ready to receive the seed, so the plant grows up and then dies because it wasn't ready to receive the seed. And, and the thorny part of the soil it was not ready to receive the seed, so when, when the plant grew up, it was choked out. But the, the soil that was prepared, the soil that was ready, produced a crop of 30, 60, or 100 times what was sown. And that's what we want to see happen through our church. That's what we want to see happen through here. The problem is we cannot do it by shouting condemnation from the outside. We can only do it by loving from the inside. We have to get into the world. We have to love the people of the world unconditionally and with dignity because they are made in God's image and everyone who is made in God's image deserves to be loved. Everyone who is made in God's image, no matter what they've done, deserves Dignity, because they're made in God's image. We have to go into the inside, into the world, and we have to love them from the inside by shining our light. We have to love them as Christ loved us, and, and then they will see just how amazing it is, this grace that we live in. So we have a bunch of pots up here on the stage. You received seeds when you came in. You received a card. Uh, that, that on one side has 420 and the verse and the, and the passage of 420, and then on the other side it has 8 to 15, and at the top has a little diagram of what 8 to 15 is. And I would just encourage you as we finish up and worship this morning, the band's going to come up, we're going to close in some, uh, some worship. Whoever your 8 to 15 is, whoever's there, I, I'm sure that there are already some names that have come to mind, maybe one, maybe two, three or four. But I would just ask you, I would encourage you, I would implore you, I would strongly urge you to start writing those names down and then, and then start praying for them intentionally. Pray that, that the Spirit would open up the minds of their hearts so that they would even be able to hear the gospel when it, when it is shared with them. But this morning what I'm asking of us, and we're going to have these out uh, for a long time, maybe even all the way through the summer. It depends on how well they grow. We might have to transplant them outside in the summer. But um, you, got, you got corn seeds, and corn is fun to watch grow. But I would ask if... However many people you will commit to preparing, however many people you will commit to, to kind of preparing the light of the gospel and, and, and sharing the love with them, how many people you would, you would be ready to just work the soil a little bit in your relationship with them, to just love like Christ loved them? And then I would ask you to come up and, and plant the seed. Come up and plant the seed and... And as we kind of go through the next few weeks, we're going to water these. We're going to put them out in the lobby. We're going to watch the seeds grow. And it's just going to hopefully serve as a constant reminder to us that as we leave this place, our job is not to go out and to just get back into the world and just to forget about everything that happened on Sunday. But we have a very specific mission we were given to go out into the world and love the world like Christ loved the church. And our hope will be that every week as we see these things grow, that we will be doing the work at home in the 8 to 15s to share with them to love them, to care for them, to serve them, to meet their needs selflessly and without uh, an expectation of being uh, rewarded for, for our serving them. And in so doing, we'll prepare the soil for their hearts. And then on Easter, April 20th, hopefully a lot of them will show up here. Hopefully a lot of them will come and we will be able to plant the seed of the gospel of Jesus Christ dying on the cross, raising from the dead, conquering death, hell, and the grave, and ascending to sit at the right hand of the Father, that, that we will have a lot of people who hear that message for the first time and receive in a heart that is prepared the gospel. So we're going to stand. We're going to close in a time of worship. I would just ask, even if you don't think you're ready to do this, plant the seeds in faith. If you don't feel like you're ready to go out into the world to do this, just come up and plant the seeds in faith. And, and maybe that little step of faith will be just enough to get you moving to preparing the soil, to, to loving someone unconditionally.
But during these, these next few songs, even all the rest of the morning, as you feel ready, just come up and, and plant the seeds. Let's stand together and let's pray. Father, I thank you for your unending love. I thank you for your perfect love. I thank you for dying for us on a cross and for coming to selflessly sacrifice in our place so that we could be with you, so that we could have your Holy Spirit living with us and in us today. In this moment, in this time, Father, I pray that you'd help us to, to lean into the sacrificial nature and the sacrificial heart of Jesus Christ and to follow how you want us to follow, to live in the world like you want us to live in the world and to shine the light of your love shine the light of the gospel to bring glory to you. Father, if we're still not sure about doing this, I just pray that you give us just a little bit of boldness, a little bit of faith to take that step this morning and to just try and see what you can do. To just take a step and see how faithful you provide. So Father, this morning, help us to not just plant some corn and see it grow, but Father, help us to go out of this place ready to work the soil to see people's lives changed for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. As they play, come up and plant your seeds this morning.